This podcast is brought to you by Pastor Stormy Swan and Faith Christian Family Church of Lubbock, Texas. For more information, please visit faithchurchlubbock.com. Turn with me to the very first book of the Bible, the first chapter of Genesis, chapter 1. Genesis, chapter 1. And why I'm going here is I'm going to start out here in the very beginning of the Bible because the Bible will teach every one of us this, that mankind was created to rule. Really? Yeah, we were created to rule. Well, who set that up? Well, Father God did. He's the one who instituted this thing called life. And so I want you to hold on to that thought there. We were created to rule. Genesis 1, verse 26. Then God said. Woo, that's powerful right there. Then God said. Ooh, I like when God says. Then God said, let us make man in our own image. According to our likeness. Now, I don't know if you realize that or not, but you were created in the image of God and in his likeness. That there are attributes of God that are woven within each one of us. I like to say it this way. You've got, you got the DNA of God all over you. I was made in the image of God, in his likeness. Let them, ooh, Mankind, have dominion, have dominion, the power to rule, complete authority. Let them, mankind, have dominion over the fish, over the sea, over the birds of the air, over the cattle, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So you got, you got dominion even over the creeps. It said it kind of that way. But when you look at what he's talking about here, I want to highlight again the word dominion. So God gave us dominion, the authority to rule. Verse 27, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male and female. He created them. No ifs, ands, and buts about it. Then God blessed them. Creation, mankind, male, female. And God said to them, mankind, male and female, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, subdue it. The word subdue there means to govern it, to dominate it. God didn't say just kick back and don't do anything. You know, whatever will be, will be. Stuff just happens. God said, govern it and have dominion. The message says with the word dominion so that they can be responsible. They can have dominion over the fish, the sea, the birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. So when I read what God tells me about here, he's saying, take charge. I, I should never be satisfied to live in an existence lower than what God has designed or made me to do or made it possible for me to dwell in. I believe if we live beneath what God told us to do, we're really not being a good steward. We're not being really responsible with what he said. And so again, he said, rule, 
And, and not only did he tell us to rule, he gave us the guidelines on how to rule. And so I'm going to talk to you some more about us, how God would expect us to rule and, and the guidelines he gives us. But let me ask you this question here. If God made me in his image, shouldn't I do the things he does? Shouldn't I imitate him? See, you see that with children oftentimes. Man, they, you know, they see their mama doing something, man, they want to imitate their mama. Same with a young boy, man. He sees his daddy out mowing before long. He wants to mow until he figures that out a little older. And then he doesn't want to do that no more. Genesis 1, verse 1. So watch, watch what Father God does. Watch how Father God, he tells us model him. Genesis 1, verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Kind of sounds like the Big Bang Theory, doesn't it? Kind of, I believe in the Big Bang Theory. God spoke and bang, it happened. Verse 2. The earth was without form and void, and the darkness was in the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Now, if, if you'll dig in there in the verse 2, the Holy Spirit's been around a long time. Right, right here, he, he was present at the start of creation. Verse 3, then God said, then, then God said, and the reason I want to highlight that, because this phrase, God said, occurs 10 different times just in chapter 1. And so when it says here that God said, it was God's way or meanings or the means in which way God brought forth life and order. And God said. And, and God said. And so I, I highlight that, and I'm not going to go over all 10 times that he did it, but God's words were carriers of his faith. And so God spoke, and he spoke exactly as he desired it to be. And so I sit there, and I begin to look at this, and I think, wait a minute. If I'm made in the image of God, what would happen if I would begin to say what Father God says? If I would get my, my tongue in line with the Word of God, because when I agree with what God says, something begins to happen. Now, to give you a couple illustrations of how powerful your words are, none of you in here got born again without it involving your words or your tongue. There in Romans 10, 9 and 10, it says that in order for a person to get born again, you confess with your mouth and you believe in your heart. So when you get born again, part of that process had to do with what came out of your mouth. And so when I see that again, it tells me, man, there's power in the tongue. That's Proverbs 18, 21. Life and death are in the power of the tongue. Not one of us in here receive forgiveness without partly our tongue. Why is that? He said, if you'll confess your sins... I'm faithful and just to not only forgive you, but to cleanse you. So the only way I get forgiven, I've got to confess the power of the tongue. How about prayer? 
The only way you get prayer to be answered is you got to pray. And when you pray, it isn't silence. You don't just... No, you got to say. And so you begin to get the gesture. Everything God did, he spoke it, he spoke it. And I believe he's telling us, man, I got to learn to imitate God in that way. You know, one of the, the greatest covenants in life is a marriage covenant. We'll think about that in this sense. The only way you get married legally is you got to say some vows. And so that vow seals the covenant, the things I confess or I commit to. It's what bridges the covenant. It makes it alive. I believe it's the same thing with God. There's so much power within our tongues that I don't know we've ever ever tapped in it. And I'm not going to go into this tonight. But part of the reason the devil, he, he turned and twisted everything on Eve is because Adam didn't do what God told him to do. God said, I gave you dominion and, 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 and uh, power to subdue. How did the devil come into the garden? He came into as a form, as a serpent. And the serpent was more crafty than any beast of the field. And so he had the authority to say, uh-uh, not today. But he didn't. Now, I'll give you a little more help here today on, on how powerful your words are. Go to Joshua chapter 1. Joshua chapter 1, and so you're going to go through uh, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, and then you're going to come into Joshua. Joshua chapter number 1. Let me give you a little insight here as you're turning there. This guy named Joshua, had he had been kind of like the armor bearer, the helper to Moses. Well, when we come into Joshua 1... Moses is dead. He's gone. He's gone home to be with Jesus. He's on the other side. And so this is where we start now. He's just walking in to being the leader. And listen to what God says to him. Just verse 7 and 8. Joshua 1, verse 7 and 8. Only be strong and very courageous. The word strong there means valiant, means firm, But it also means to be strengthened by Yahweh. A New Testament reference on that is Ephesians 6.10, which says, Be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. So when he's telling him be strong, he's saying the strength you've got to learn is you've got to learn to trust me. You've got to learn to live by faith. And it's interesting here when he says to him, be strong and of good courage. This phrase occurs four times just in this chapter right here alone. Verse 6, verse 7, verse 9, and verse 18. Every one of those say, be strong and a good courage. Man, if God's got to tell you something four times, he really wants you to get it. You got to get this. Come on, Josh, you got to get this, buddy. You're going to have to be strong and a good courage. Keep reading. That you may observe to do According to all the law which Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it. Do not turn from the word of God to the right hand or to the left. Why? That you may prosper wherever you go. And so he's saying part of this to be strong and a good courage. Man, it takes strength from God and courage to obey the word of God. 
If obeying was the word God was so easy, don't you think everybody would be doing it? But there is a golden nugget at the end of this. And he said, when you obey the word of God, look at that last part. You shall prosper wherever you go. Wherever you go. I like it. I like that. Verse 8. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth. Whoa. Whoa. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth. He, he's telling him, listen, Joshua, one of the first steps of the key of walking this thing out is you're going to have to learn to speak the word of God. Don't let the word of God get away from your mouth. Now, why would he tell him that if that wasn't significant? Because I go back and I think, Father God is telling him exactly what he did. God said, God said, God said. So he's telling him right now, there's power in your words. Matthew 12, 34 says this, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So better stated, Whatever you're putting in your uh, heart is going to come out of your mouth. If I don't put the word of God in my mouth, what's going to come? What, if I don't put the word in my heart, what's going to come out of my mouth? I'll tell you what's going to come out of your mouth. You're going to break the 11th commandment. Oh, Pastor, I thought there was just 10. Now there's 11. Thou shalt not be hung by thy tongue is the 11th one. That's not really. I'm just making that up, okay? Some of you thinking, I didn't know that. No, again, he's given us instruction. Man, something happens when I speak the word of God. Don't let this word depart out of your mind. You got to stay with the word. How long? As long as you're on this earth. And then he goes on to say, but you shall meditate in it day and night. What's the it? The word of God and the word meditate there means to recite it. It means to ponder it. It means to replay it over and over in your mind. So here's what begins to happen, I believe. He's saying something happens, Joshua. I don't care who you are. When you begin to speak the word and you begin to meditate on the word and you begin to think the word day and night and then look what it goes to that you may observe to do according to all that is written in it. Something begins to trigger in me as a human being the way God created us. I, I speak it, I speak it, I speak it. I begin to meditate and I speak and I meditate and all of a sudden before long, as long as I keep doing that, it begins to drop down in my heart and it takes root in my heart and before long, guess what? I start acting on the word. James 1.22 says, be a doer of the word and not a hearer only. And so when I start operating by the word, I speak it, I thank it and do it. Watch how he ends in verse eight. For then you... For then you, he didn't say for then Jesus, he said for then you will make your way prosperous and then you will have good success. Man, I highlight that. You want to have prosperity and good success? There's the prescription. You got to get in the word, speak the word, speak the word. Speak. That's why in... in um, Numbers, I believe it is, that he told them over and over. He said, 
you got to get the word of God all over your house. Put it on the doorways. Put it on the porch. Put it on the walls. You know why that was? Every time they walked in the house, their kids were saying, Woo, we're blessed in the city. We're blessed in the field. We're blessed coming here. He knew I got to get the word before him. Well, things haven't changed. That's God's desire. Get the word before you. Here's the deal again. You get into the word, God will get into you. And when God gets into you, I'm telling you, there starts changing happening in people's life. Go, go with me to the book of Matthew chapter 8. Matthew chapter 8. Now, we're going to dig into some New Testament stuff here. And I'm, I'm kind of like a little kid at a candy store with this. Oh, my goodness. This is, these, these passages we're getting ready to hit are so enlightening to me. I mean, I was like, oh, my gosh, Lord, this is so, so good today. So, so good. I, I love to see the Word of God here in this. So, Matthew 8, verse 5. I think you guys are going to say, oh, Pastor, this is good. Now, when Jesus had entered Capernaum, when Jesus had entered Capernaum, I want to highlight that because I, I began to study Capernaum. And Capernaum ultimately became where Jesus said, this is where I grew up. Now, he was from Nazareth, but he considered Capernaum his hometown. And, and if you will study that area, the majority of the miracles that he did was right here. And I thought... Was he against doing miracles other places? No. But it showed me that the people of Capernaum, they tapped into something. They, they tapped into something that no one else was getting. And so he goes to Capernaum here. And a centurion, a Roman military officer, and most things, say this about him, they, they usually had right around 100 men underneath them. He came to Jesus pleading with him, saying, Lord. Now, I, I really marked that right there, saying, Lord. Say, Lord. He confessed Jesus as Lord. Your Lord, Jesus, your Lord. Saying, Lord, my servant is lying home paralyzed and dreadfully tormented. Now, he just point blank told Jesus, this is what's going on. He didn't try to act like nothing's happening. He said he is, he is dreadfully tormented. Verse 7. And Jesus said to him, I'll come and heal him. I wonder if Jesus was eating a fish nugget right there and just looked at him and said, I'll come and heal him. No biggie. I'll, I'll come and heal him. Now when I read those things, it's almost like... I'll come and heal him. Verse 8. Then the centurion answered and said, Lord, the second time. Now, I, I qualify that. It's huge. Man, Jesus has got to be Lord of your life. I didn't say Savior. I said Lord. He said that, that if I'm Lord, why don't you obey me? And so here he is. He's calling him Lord here again. And he said, listen, I'm not worthy that you should come under my roof. But only speak a word. Only speak a word. And God said, the powers of the word. 
The powers of my word here. And this guy said, and only speak a word and my servant will be healed. The Passion Translation says, I understand your authority. Verse 9. For I also am a man under authority, having soldiers under me. And I say to this one, you go. And he does. He goes. And to another, come. And he comes. And to my servant, do this. And he does it. When Jesus heard it, he marveled. He was astonished. And he said to those who followed, surely I say to you, I have not found such great faith, not even in Israel. He's been all over Israel. He's been around the scribes and the Pharisees and the couldn't sees and the wouldn't sees. He's been around everywhere. But he says, this Roman officer has more faith than anybody I've ever seen here up to this point. And so when I read this, I thought, okay, 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 wait a minute. What did this Roman officer do or say that caused Jesus to marvel and be astonished or amazed? Jesus said he has more faith than anybody. So I go back and I start looking and go back to verse 8. Look at it. I am not worthy you should come under my roof, but only speak a word. So I begin to look at this, what Jesus is getting to here. This Roman military officer, he knew in this physical realm called earth, That when I tell or I command a soldier to go, he goes. And when I tell him to come, he comes. And he's realizing the authority that Jesus has in the spirit realm. And he knew when Jesus commands sickness to go, it's got to go. And when he commands the devil to go, it's got to go. And he when tells the laws of nature, peace be still, it's got to obey. And so I begin to look at this, and I think, okay, okay, okay. He realizes I have authority in the physical realm, but Jesus has authority in the spirit realm. But in Matthew 28 and 18, Jesus said, whoo, I've been given authority in heaven and earth. That's Matthew 28, 18. All authority has been given to me in heaven and earth. So this guy right here, he understood, whoo, When Jesus gives that command, that authority he has, the spirit realm takes notice. I look and I have this thought. Lord, I really, really welcome you to grace my faith. Grace my faith in this area where I trust you and I believe you this way. Verse 13, same chapter. Then Jesus said to the centurion, go your way, and as you have believed, so let it be done for you. Now catch that, okay? As you have believed. Jesus didn't say nothing about him. He didn't say, as I believe, buddy. No, he said, as you have believed, so be it done unto you. So now we do a little review. How did he believe? He believed because he spoke what he believed and he said, all you got to do is say a word. And Jesus said, so be it unto you then. 
And so something happens when I begin to understand the authority. But what got interesting to me is there's only two places in the New Testament where I could find that Jesus marveled about people. And so I begin to turn to Mark 6. This is the next one, Mark 6. And so I begin to look at this and I thought, well, if there's two places in the Bible that talk about Jesus was amazed or marveled, you and me, we're getting ready to fit into one of these two stories. Mark 6, verse 1. Then he went out from there and he came to his own country, Nazareth. Nazareth. And I study Nazareth. And Early, early on in, in Jesus' ministry in, in Nazareth there, that he, he had gone into there one other time uh, back in Luke 4, and he wasn't treated right. And so I find only two occasions he went into Nazareth. But he went into Capernaum all the time. So he goes back home. And when the Sabbath had come, he began to teach in the synagogue. And many hearing him, they were astonished. Saying, where did this man get these things and what wisdom is which is given to him that such mighty works are performed by his hands? So, so think about this. It's on the Sabbath and they're hearing Jesus preach and they, they were astonished at the wisdom that came at him. They saw him do miracles. Verse 4 or 3. But is this not the carpenter, the son of Mary, the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon? And are not his sisters here with us? So they were offended at him. They took offense at Jesus. Now this was a head scratcher to me. Why would they be offended? Because we go back and we highlight verse 2. They were astonished at what they heard him teach. They saw him doing these miracles, but now they're offended at him. Verse 4, and Jesus said to them, a prophet is not without honor except in his own country, among his own relatives, and his own house. Verse 5, now he could do no mighty works there. He could not do any mighty works there. One translation says he was unable. I don't know how many times, hundreds of times I've read this verse right now. And if you'll notice, it didn't say he wouldn't do any mighty works there. It said he couldn't do any mighty works there. So we can stand here and I can look and I'm like, time out, time out, time. This is the Son of God, and he can't do that. He can do whatever he wants. Evidently not. And he could not do any mighty works there, except that he laid his hands on a few sick folk and helped them, and he marveled. And he was astonished because of their unbelief. Because of their depth of their unbelief. Two choices here. And when I read the passage in Matthew 8 and the passage in Mark 6, both refer to the response of faith, both of them. Man, I began to locate him and said, Lord, you've got to help me in this area. Help me. 
You know what this does show me too? Another sign? Don't take offense at people. Don't take offense at, at Jesus. You know what I believe offense does? It keeps the Lord from doing what he wants. I've had people say, I don't get it, I don't get it, I don't get it. And you ask, you, you got offense in you? You know what I'm talking about, offense is unforgiveness or bitterness towards somebody. Man, it'll shut down the things of God. It shut down Jesus. He couldn't do no mighty works there. Now, I'm going to end tonight in the book of John. Turn with me to John chapter 16. John chapter 16. Woo, wasn't that good? Golly, those are good passages. Man, I have meditated on them. I've looked at those. I've marked and marked. And I said, Lord, show me this, show me this, show me this. But again, I want to highlight something. There's something with the power of our words again when he said, only speak the word. John 16, verse 23. Now, in this passage is an eternal truth. If you got your own Bible, I don't care if you got the church's Bible, you might want to highlight some of this, okay? If you're a good note taker, you might want, you may want to take some notes just right here off of these two verses. John 16, 23. And in that day, you will ask me nothing. Now, if you'll note in there, that's red letter words. And so the Lord Jesus said, in that day, you will ask me nothing. Or in other words, don't ask me anything. Now, why, why would he say that to me? You won't need to ask me for anything. Okay, you got to get this, that he's, he's walked the earth for three years with these disciples, approximately three and a half years. And over and over, when they would ask him, he'd do it, man, he'd move. He'd move here. And so now, all of a sudden, he said, listen, listen, listen. You don't need to ask me nothing, okay? Now, watch. Because he's given us the guidelines for the biblical or legal basis of prayer. And he says, in that day you will ask me nothing. Most assuredly I say to you, whatever you ask the Father, whatever you ask the Father, in my name. So you got to go back and this is the basis of prayer. I go before Father God and I say, Ooh, Father God, I ask you, da 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 I ask you, and then you tag it in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. But see, so many times we, we violate the, the covenant of prayer, the legal basis of prayer. But he said, uh-uh, ask the Father. Ooh, Father God, I ask you tonight to bless my sleep in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Now see, again, not, not only does he, he tell us how to do it, he gives us the guidelines. And in that day, you'll ask me nothing. Most assuredly, I say to you, whatever you ask the Father in my name, he'll give it to you. Until now, until now, and, and part of the until now was, remember in the Old Testament, they would always run to the priest. But now Jesus is saying, and you're a child of mine. You're a son of God. So until now, you have asked nothing in my name. Ask, and you will receive that your joy may be full. So when I look at what he's talking about here, and I, I got to get into this. I, I got to follow the scriptures here. 
Man, he never, he's never against me asking. But one of the greatest keys to asking is I ask according to his will. Well, what's his will? His word. You get in the word, you'll get into God's will. You get into God's will, you'll get into the word. That's God's will. I mean, that's his will forever. How, how do you understand how to get born again? Is God's will that I get born again? Yeah, but I got to find out biblically how to do it. So I find out in the word what it says, and then I ask according to the word. So the key here is this. You find what you're needing in the word of God, and then you go to Father God, and you say, Woo, Father God, you said in Colossians 1.13 that you've delivered me from the power of darkness, and I thank you in Jesus' name. I walk in that. And guess what I've done? I've implemented the word of God just how God said. Just how God said. Woo! So here's the deal. Man, some of you got to quit writing hot checks. What do you mean, pastor? You write that check and you say, Woo, I come into Father God. Father God, I ask you. And then I give him the scripture. And then you know what Jesus does? Jesus signs the check in Jesus' name. So guess what I've done? I've based everything off the title deed. What's the title deed? The Word of God. So something happens when I pray to Father God, and I pray the Word of God, and I pray in the name of Jesus. Woo, you know what that's a recipe for? Victory. <laughs> Victory, victory, victory. And some of you are getting, why don't you stand up here? Why don't you stand up? Oh my goodness. Thank you for listening today. For more information, please visit faithchurchlubbock.com.